right, what's up, folks? It is, we wish, episode 59 only to go with number 59. Seth Joyner is going, that will be on with us tonight, but it is episode 50 nonetheless. And what a great way to do 50 episodes with the legend himself, Seth Joyner. He'll be on with us here momentarily. We'd like to thank you for viewing our show tonight. We also have some big, exciting news as soon as the interview is over. So hang around. We'll be talking about the Eagles schedule, breaking down all Eagles talk. It's going to be a fun night tonight, and we thank Seth Joyner for coming on with us. This is going to be a great night, folks, so stay tuned. I'm Angel. This is Broad Street South. And normally, of course, we're introducing everyone here individually, but because we are, well, not as much as press for time, but because we want to make sure everybody comes on. So, Fuji, Sherman... Ryan and Nick, welcome you guys. How's everybody doing? Doing good, doing good. Can't wait for another great show. I'm Ryan Neff, and it's great to be with you. The NFL schedule is out. Let's do it. All right. And, of course, we can't do the show tonight without our guest, Mr. Seth Joyner. Seth Joyner, how are you this evening? All good, guys. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing Fantastic. And listen, we, we can't thank you enough, Seth, for coming on. We know that you're consistently busy. If you're not doing something with Merrill Reese, I mean, your show is it, it's so good that I think that you just kind of run from one show into the next, into the next. <laughs> so it seems like you never take a break. It's just one thing after the other. So we thank you for the busy schedule that you have, and we appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Hey, guys, you got it, man. I, I know you, know you guys are trying to do the same thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build a show. I'm trying to, you know – gain followers and, you know, create content. And, you know, the thing most important, you know, when you're trying to develop something is consistency. So, you know, you guys are, you know, celebrating your 50th show. Um, I can't tell you how many shows I've gotten in the can. You know, I've been doing this almost a year and um, three months. Um, sometimes it's a little difficult because, you know, trying to get um, good guests to come on and, you know, dead times of the year, when there's not a lot going on around Eagles, you know, and you know how Eagles fans are. I try to switch it up every <laughs> once in a while and talk to right. talk about other NFL. They don't want to hear anything but Eagles talk. I mean, they're over in the private chat leaving comments. And they're all pissed off because I'm talking about, you know, some other team. I'm like, come on, man. It's just football. Let's do it. <laughs> no, this, it's the exact truth. I, I It's tough. I, I will agree. It's really tough to get, especially when it comes closer and closer to football season, Yet even someone like Brandon Lee Gowden or uh, someone from the radio station nearby, you know, from Bleeding Green Nation, it's tough because everyone has a job to do. Everybody has their shows to do. But uh, listen, we feel it. But if you need any help by any means, you know, we can reach out and, and we can work with each other and it'd be a great thing. But Seth, we do appreciate the shows you're putting on and we hope that you gain a lot more followers. I'm quite sure you will because, again, it's great context. Context. You and, and Derek Gunn, I will say, both put on different types of show. But it's the same ingredient. It's just success. And so we hope nothing but success for you in the future. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. So one question that I have uh, right out of the gate, and I'm quite sure there's going to be other people here making their comments. Ducky, we see you. Thank you for coming on. So the one thing I will say is that obviously we know as the as your career starts, before it starts, it comes back from your childhood. It comes back from being raised by your family, by you know your mom and dad and, and your, your entire crew. So take us back to what it was like for you to make the decision that you want to become an athlete and what 
what team in actuality, and I don't know if it was Eagles was the first destination or which team was it for you as a child that you followed that you wish you had played for? Well, you know, I was involved in sports, you know, my entire life. Um, you know, I had an older brother that, you know, tried to play sports, but it really wasn't his thing. He was, you know, more the artist, more the mechanic, more the, you know, thinking man's kid. But, um, you know, I played basketball, baseball, football, um, ran a little track, you know, played a little soccer growing up. I did a little bit of everything. Um, and, and quite honestly, my mom never really wanted me to play football because she didn't really understand the game. You know, all she knew is one guy had the ball and the rest of the guys were trying to pile on. Um, and suffice to say, you know, if I hadn't had an older brother, I probably never would have played football because it was my brother that actually encouraged my mom to allow me to play football. Um, but then once she she began to understand the game, I, I started to teach her the game. Then she started to, you know, really, really love the game. And I mean, there were times, you know, when after I retired, I called her on a Sunday afternoon and she'd be like, hey, call me back after all the game's over because she'd be watching and enjoying the games. I got her, you know, to fall in love with the game. But um, yeah, football, you know, is something I was involved with from the time I was 10 years old. You know, first two years, I actually quit. Um, and my mom, you know, put the hammer down in year three. If you're going to play, you're going to finish it. Um, and I think that was an important juncture, you know, for me, not only for football, but in life to finish what you start. Um and as time went on, you know, I started to really evolve because, you know, during youth football, I was one of the bigger kids. So normally they put you on the offensive and defensive line. When I got to junior high school, I still played offensive and defensive line. And then my freshman year, I shot up and leaned out um, and they moved me to linebacker, played some tight end, played some fullback, played some tailback. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. I walked on at the University of Texas at El Paso. Um, as a 195-pound um, linebacker, um, by the sixth game of my freshman year, you know, I was starting. And then my sophomore year, I played outside linebacker. And then my, you know, junior year, I played inside and outside. If we played running teams, you know, I played inside. If we played passing teams, they moved me outside to rush. Um, and then I played strictly inside my senior year. So teams were kind of confused as to, you know, where I fit in the draft. Um, but luckily, you know, all you need is one to want to draft you, one to like you and one to give you an opportunity. And, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles were that team, you know, although growing up as a kid, man, I was I, I was an Earl Campbell fan. Man. I mean, I, yeah. I, I love the guy I grew up born and raised in New York. Um, I was not a Giants fan. I was not a Jet fan. I was a Houston Oilers fan. And I loved me some Earl Campbell. Man. Seth, as far as the uh, 2021 draft, do you see? Any standout players you think may be an impact right away? Um, you know, the, the listen, I think that Devontae Smith is going to be a star. I don't care about the size. I don't care about the weight. Um, I think that, you know, he's the type of player that, especially in today's NFL, it's not like when a wide receiver runs across the middle, you're taking his head off anymore. If he can't see you, you know, it's a, it's a defenseless receiver type deal, 15 yard. He's probably going to get a pink slip in your locker Tuesday or Wednesday. So you don't see that anymore. Plus the coaching staffs, they have an ability, you know, if they have reservations about the guy's size, they got an ability to put him in position to protect him. He's going to be a star. I think Landon Dickerson, if he can stay healthy, he's going to, he, he's a, a great pick to add depth and maybe be the future heir apparent at center. Um, and then from there, you know, a lot of interesting picks, you know, Milton Williams, 
is a guy, you know, that everyone's going to watch closely because of the whole Howie Donahue thing. Um, if the other guy pans out, then you know how we do in Philly. We're going to say, hey, we could have had that guy. Howie screwed up again. You know, um, Zach McPherson, I love the kid. I love his confidence. And I think the one thing you have to have as a cornerback in the NFL, you've got to have supreme confidence in yourself and you got to have a short memory. And when I watch this kid play, he plays with the utmost confidence. Um, you know, Gamewell was an interesting pick. I just wonder, you know, hey, why do we need another running back? But when you watch all the versatility that this guy brings to the table, um, then you understand why. Because, you know, Miles Sanders, you know, forever, I've said, you know, they've got him on a pitch count. You know, I, I think that they, the analytics tell them that 16 to 18 touches a game is his limit before you begin to get in that dangerous area of injury. And he's had some injuries. So um, when you take a guy like Kenneth Gainwell and you can put him in the game on first and second down, now you begin to dictate personnel on the defensive side of the ball. And what you do is you create this, these mis mismatches. You know, in the passing game, if you want to throw the ball on first and second down and they want to go regular people, well, guess what? You've got this guy matched up against, you know, a linebacker. Um, you really get creative, you know, put him on the weak side, cut X's split down, X nasty, and motion him out of the backfield or shift him out of the backfield. And now you force um, the mismatch because you either get the linebacker that has to go out and cover him in man situations if you can get the pre-snap read, or you get the cornerback that bounces out um, in zone coverage, and now you got a wide receiver matched up in a zone versus a linebacker. So there's a lot of lot of you know versatility there, you know, in that pick. Um, the kid, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. The defensive tackle uh, <laughs> from, from, from USC. I really like the kid. I think that you know he's going to be a stout, a stout um, you know run stopper. But at the same time, you know you you when you watch him on film. He's consistently making plays in the backfield. He's consistently at the quarterback, even though, you know, no one views him as a guy who's a pure pass rusher. Um, but I, I I love the pick, you know, 6'3", 305 pounds and great footwork. You know, the one word that I have for him is active. He is always, always active. Um, Taron Jackson, a little bit of a head scratcher because, you know, at, you know, 254 pounds, you know, maybe he's the – the prototypical pass rusher, um, you know, edge rusher in today's NFL at defensive end. Um, the guy that I really like is this kid, Jacoby Stevens from LSU. And, and I think that he's going to be the surprise. The Eagles draft him as a linebacker, which I didn't really understand because when you watch film, you see him as a single high safety out of the box, you know, and two high safety. You see a lot of him there. Now, he's a guy you can drop in the box because he's extremely physical, but I think he's a guy that's going to create tremendous, tremendous um, competition at the safety position if they choose to put him there. And I would put him there before I would put him at linebacker um, at 212 pounds. But, hey, it remains to be seen, you know, what Gannon's plan is and what the organization's plan is for him. And then Patrick Johnson, he's another head scratcher. Um, a guy that really is an outside, you know, edge rusher, but at 240, um, you know, maybe they're just trying to find depth. Maybe they're trying to find that guy that's going to be the step in if Derek, Derek um, Barnett does not step up this year and realize his potential under his fifth year option. Now that I've gone through every guy in the draft, you know, <laughs> but, 
But to answer, but to answer your question, Jacoby Stevens, Jacoby, Jacoby Stevens, beyond Devontae Smith, Jacoby Stevens is that guy for me that I think is going to going to be a, a a a game changer. I think he's that guy to watch. Okay, that's uh in- interesting. I, I I don't think a lot of fans would have expected Jacoby Stevens to be the guy. But speaking of drafts, I want I want to talk about your draft a little bit. Take us through 1986 draft. What was your draft process like? You went in the eighth round. Just tell us like what what was it like for you to get drafted 35 years ago? Oh man, listen, I I was pissed. You know, I mean, coming out of college, coming out of college that year, I was ranked in the top five or six linebackers in the country. Um, didn't get along with my you know college head coach. You know, there was you know just differences i'll say that um and he really didn't have a lot of positive things to say to me i can remember you know after a a workout um a miami dolphin scout asked me he's like man what in the world did you do to your head coach man because he has nothing to say about you he's just not like you at all um but you know lucky for me there was an eagle scout um a guy named bill baker that would come through el paso twice a month and i'm telling you man he was instrumental in and helping me because he was like, you know, work on this and work on that and make sure you prepare for this and say this and say, I mean, he was, you know, he was a godsend for me. Um, but, you know, I didn't get invited to the combine, um, didn't get invited to any of the senior bowl games. And I went to, you know, my head coach, well, my head coach got fired. So in my senior year, so there was not, not a whole lot that he could do, you know, to help, not that he would, but I also went to the AD to try to, you know, write a letter to try to get me in some of these, some of these um, um, senior bowl games. And that didn't work out. Um, but still, when you looked at all the draft boards and you look at all the rankings and whatnot, you know, I was in the top five or six linebackers coming out that year. So the eighth round was not what I was expecting. I watched, you know, the first through maybe the end of the third round. I thought maybe I'd go anywhere from the third to the fourth round. And after I didn't go in the third, the fourth round, I said, to hell with it. I just went to the gym and was playing basketball. I actually found out that the Eagles drafted me. Somebody came in the gym and said, hey, man, the Eagles just drafted you in the eighth round. I was like, great. And I went back to my basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> a good story you probably won't hear anywhere else. That's a good one, Seth. So in case everyone's joining us here tonight, we have Seth Joyner on episode 50, which we are extremely excited for. And if you guys want to follow Seth Joyner, of course, on Twitter, it's Seth Joyner. You have his certification up there, so you can. there's plenty of Seth Joyners out there, but that's the real one, just so you guys aren't duped by anything else. Also, if you follow him on his Instagram page, therefore, you can always see what Seth is doing with his shows, everything that is going on with Seth Joyner. You will find both on his IG and his Twitter handle, and again, Seth, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really do appreciate it. So let me correct you there because that that Instagram is the one that says it says Seth Joiner. Yeah. Um, Instagram, you know, when someone hacks your Instagram, they do nothing to help you recover it. So that's the old one. That's the one that I was building. Um, someone hacked it. Um, I couldn't get the authentication codes. So it's floating around out there. You can see there's no not a whole lot of activity on it, you know, since last year sometime. But the new one is connected to my show. The, it, so if you want to follow there, it's um, at Seth Joyner's show. Uh, it's just at Seth Joyner's show. On okay. Brian? Seth, my man, Seth, I got to get real with you for a minute, brother. 
just for a minute, and I just I want you to get deep into it because look, you're when you were a senior in high school, I was in eighth grade, so we're kind of like close to these guys are a little bit younger than me, especially Nick. My man, I'm a defensive guy like you. What in the hell has happened to the NFL and the defense? I can't stand it, Seth. I cannot stand it. Like you saw what happened at the you you saw what happened at the second half of the Super Bowl. Like I've told these guys before, like growing up playing football and I play basketball like you. And look, man, if 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 it's if, if it's egregious where you have to call it, Seth, then throw the flag. But let them play football, bro. Let them play football. I can't stand it. I'm not I'm not down with the thirty eight to thirty five games and the, the fifty four to fifty one games. You play defense, man. You were a stud, a stellar defensive performer. What what is it gonna take to have them revert back to hey man, just let them play. If it's so egregious that they have to throw it, then throw it. Seth, I can't stand it, man. I can't stand it. Well, I'll tell you this, you know, the football that, you know, I grew up on and the football that you just, you know, so eloquently, um, you know, postulated, you'll never see that football again. I can tell you what happened was, you know, the $760 million lawsuit is what happened to the NFL and the reverberations that go down all the way to the youth level. Um, because when something happens at the pro level, it affects the collegiate, the high school, right on down, you know, to the young kids. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you because I feel like, you know, when you play, when you make the decision to play football at any level, you understand, um, the occupational hazards of playing the game. You know, you're going to get hurt. You know that there are certain things that can happen. Now I'll say this, um, as far as the NFL lawsuit is concerned, <clears throat> the thing that peeved me off the most about it is that, you know, they knew they had the studies that um, that verified, you know, what was going on with the brains of, you know, players who played with multiple concussions. Um, it's one thing, you know, to not know. It's another thing to have the information and not give the information. To be honest with you, if I would have known the information, would that have stopped me from playing? Absolutely not. But what it would have would have done, it would have made me stop and consider and, and look at, OK, if I've got a concussion, OK, maybe I need to sit out more than, you know, two plays and the trainer asking me how many fingers you see, you know. Um, so the lack of admitting culpability on the NFL's part is the thing that bothered me the most. You know, I'm like the money can't fix, you know, the damage that's done for guys who didn't have the opportunity to make the decision or or have the choice of whether to play or not. So for me, that was the big thing. But when you lose that lawsuit, then that affects everything. And then you start to see the changes, you know, in the rules and regulation and, and how it begins to change the game. And it's changed the game to a place where, you know, you're not going to see the aggressiveness. You're not going to see, you know, the gladiator style football any longer. Um, because to me, that's what football is. It's, it's, it's a gladiator's game. The only difference is when you lose, you don't get the thumbs up or the thumbs down. You get the lineup next week and you get to do it again, you know, for 16, 17 weeks. Um, but a lot of that is just gone, you know, and as painful as it is to watch, this is the new NFL. Everything revolves around the 30, $40 million quarterback. And how do you keep that guy safe? 
And how do you try to keep guys safe, you know, so that they have, you know, some type of life after, you know, football is over. So that's where it is. And the emphasis is on scoring points and offensive explosiveness. And, you know, the intimidation factor of defensive football is absolutely gone. So what you watched in the Super Bowl is an anomaly. You know, for the for those people out there to say that you still you can't win with defense. You know, I bid you to look at the Super Bowl. Tom Brady only threw for 200 yards in the Super Bowl. Okay, he only threw the ball 35 times. They ran the ball 36 times. So don't tell me that brand of football doesn't work. You just got to have the players to pull it off. And the majority of the teams in the NFL don't have it. And because they don't have that mix of great players, guess what they do? They play passive. And that plays right into the hands of offenses that want you to play soft and passive. You know, and to your point, that physical nature brings that about. Because if I got a wide receiver coming across the middle, and I try to unbuckle his chin strap, he's going to think twice about coming across there the next time. But the league, the way the league is set up, you can't do that anymore. So, you know, this is the hand that football has been dealt. This is the way the game is going. This is what the fans love. This is what owners and GMs and, you know, a lot of these, you know, guru head coaches believe that you can dominate with offense. But every once in a while, you know, like in the past Super Bowl, you see a defense step up and shut down a great offensive team. And I think that, you know, you're not going to see anything different, nothing different than, you know, what you've seen. We're not going to see that old football that you and I crave and, and desire to see ever again. But what I'll say, and I'll, and I'll piggyback off this, Fuji, what I'll say is about the Super Bowl, and Seth, you played in so many games, you know, look – the Patriots were only up 14 to 10 or 14 to 9 or whatever it is. And had the officials not gotten involved the way they did toward the end, look, at the half, if you're only down 14 to 9 as opposed to 21 9, you come out to start the second half, you're going to play a lot differently than you are. You're down 11 as opposed to being down whatever, 6 or 5. You just play a lot differently. And who's to say Kansas City wouldn't have gone down and scored a touchdown, gotten a two point conversion? Been up 16-14. That puts all the pressure back on them. Look, Seth, I'm not saying the outcome wouldn't have been different, but it's it's like you just said, the aggressiveness. It's it's guys just when they feel like they can't do something and they've got to feel like they have to play a certain way based on what the refs are doing, you can't play the way you want to, Seth. Well, listen, you can. You just got to be smarter about it. You know, you, you, you got to hit with your head up and your eyes up. You know, when I coach youth football, I used to tell my guys all the time, you know, strike with the fa face mask. It serves two purposes. It, it it takes the crown of the helmet out of the play, and it and it allows you to see what you're hitting. You know, so guys aren't stiff-arming you and just, you know, avoiding you. Um, but you can play the right way and still be aggressive. I mean, look at the way those linebackers play. I mean, they – they put the fear, fear of God of every, in every wide receiver and tight end that wanted to come across that middle. They just did a great job. You know, you can be aggressive, but you've got to coach your players on how to be aggressive and you got to, you know, you got to do it the right way where you don't get penalties that gives the other team first downs and hurts you, you know, possession-wise. But um, the, the intimidation factor of the game, I believe, is just gone because, you know, back in our day, we could intimidate the hell out of a team. You know, you, you intimidated wide receivers. You like running backs up, you know, with multiple hits from different angles, you know, to slow them down. I mean, you cut them down. You know, once you start getting down around the running back's legs, you know, that makes them slow down. You, you know, you hit the quarterback, you know, in the pocket, even after he releases the ball. 
you know, I used to run by Phil, Phil Sims all the time, even when I couldn't get there. And I just touch him on the shoulder, you know, just to let him know, hey, I'm, I'm close. I'm here. You know, he'd get pissed off and be jawing at his, his offensive lineman. But that intimidation piece of it, quarterbacks are no longer intimidated, you know, by big hits anymore. They stand in the pocket. They're willing to take the hits. And if guys, you know, fall anywhere from waist down, you know, they're looking at the wide They're looking at the um, the referee trying to get a flag. I mean, that's just the game. You have to adapt. You know, I don't know if I could play in today's NFL with the mentality that I had, you know, but I do know that, hey, if I was, I'd have to adapt and play the game under the rules that, that are in place now. That's just, you know, the way that it is. I want to bring in a couple of comments in here, Seth, and I, I want to get, as far as you're talking about quarterbacks here, I want to get your thoughts also on Jalen Hurts. But uh, a couple here to start off with Bill, where he says, Seth, the great, awesome. Seth, to be on live with you guys. How are you? The truth. Also, the truth by Seth Joyner. So thank you to Bill. Uh, there was another one here that I did see. Um, says, thank God you ended up here. <laughs> and Rick, Marcus, great friend of the show here. He says, thoughts on the Syrian hiring? And I'll throw that one together with Bill McManus. As he says, Seth, do you believe there is a fractured Eagles organization? And do you believe in Sirianni? Wow. Um, that, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, let, let me start. Let me start with the organization. Um, you know, when you pay $185 million for a team, um, and some 20, 30 something years later, that organization is now worth 3.5 billion. Um, there's something inside you to believe that, you know, that guy can do what he wants, you know, with his $3.5 billion organization. Um, that being said, you know, you look at the most valued franchise in NFL history right now, the Dallas Cowgirls, and, you know, that, <laughs> that model hasn't, hasn't necessarily worked for them. Um, you know, I'm not so sure, you know, of everything that's going on, but I know that where there's smoke, there's fire, you know, right. where there's a little bit of chatter, you know, where there's a little bit of, you know, something going on, there's some truth to it. Um, you know, what I don't like about the Eagles organization is this collaborative thing, you know, that they throw out there because someone has to be the guy that steps up and assumes responsibility. Now, when Jeffrey fired Chip Kelly, his catchphrase, you know, he had two catchphrases. The first one was emotional intelligence, a coach who could come in and relate to his players, and accountability. Everybody's across the board is now accountable. Um, but with this collaborative thing, because there's so many people involved and it's a collaborative thing, you know, we all make the decision together. You right. put yourself in a, in a situation where you, know, you have to ask yourself, who's accountable? Who's accountable, you know, for you know, the missed draft picks the last three years? Who's accountable, you know, for the misses and free agencies? Who's accountable, you know, for not being able to add depth to the to the roster? Who's accountable for a salary cap that just went sideways and put a team in rebuild mode? Somebody has to be accountable and in the organization for that. And that collaborative thing doesn't, you know, match up to that because you don't have that one guy that you point at and say, hey, listen, when things went sideways with the New England Patriots, nobody was to blame but Bill Belichick. OK, nobody. OK, right. so the owner could the owner could fire him if he wanted to, but he didn't because he knows that Bill can get it right. You know, with the Eagles, who do you point the finger at? Everyone points the finger at Howie, but Jeffrey defends him vehemently because he says it's a collaborative thing. Um, now, the Nick Sirianni thing. Um, 
I made the mistake, and I apologize to Doug. I made the mistake when Doug Peterson was hired. I said, you know, I didn't like the hire. I didn't see the leadership. And there was no, when you listen to him at the podium, you didn't hear a leader of men. Um, and, and I said, you know, if that guy is carrying a bag of gold coins with a hole in it, I wouldn't follow him. Um, <laughs> but, but when Mike Lombardi came out and said Doug Peterson was not fit to be an NFL coach, every veteran on that team stepped up for Doug Peterson. And I said to myself, well, maybe I need to step back and reevaluate this. Because the most important thing when you have a head coach for your head coach and your players is buy-in. And those players bought into what Doug was selling. And if they bought into it, who was I to question whether he was the leader of men that they saw him as? So I stepped back. Now, now, you know, you learn from your mistakes. I'm not going to do that with Nick Sirianni. I'm going to give Nick Sirianni the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he does. Okay. Not every coach is a is this great orator that steps up to the mic and says all the right things and does all the right things and you know everybody falls in love you know with his ability you know to spit words you know maybe he's just not that guy but i and you and no one else in philadelphia has any idea of what his football acumen is and what his leadership acumen is so let's step back for a second and see what he does and let's see you know how he comports himself and how these players rally around what he's selling before we try to say that this guy isn't the guy. No, I got two more comments coming up here, but I will agree because Michael Terrazas that we had on from the Indianapolis Colts, he was talking about how much the guys are going to end up missing him over there in Indianapolis because they believed in him so much and they didn't have the time, obviously, to grow with Nick Sirianni. So I agree with your comment. I, I think we're going to give him a chance. It, it can't get any worse, I will say that much. Doug kind of shot himself in the foot at the end of the season. I don't know what he was thinking in the very last game because the quarterback he put in there is not even on the team. So that, to me, made absolutely no sense. But that could well, be before, before you get to the other comment, let okay. me just say this. In light of what we now know may or may not have transpired behind the scenes, you know, how do you hold Doug Peterson accountable for that? Does Doug Peterson deserve to lose his job if Howie and Jeffrey are pulling the strings behind the scenes and telling him, hey, you know, at halftime, you're going to Nate Sudfeld the rest of this game. Right. We don't know that that wasn't what was said. So, I mean, to, to, to put the onus on Doug, now that we know what we know, is just just isn't right, you know. So, at the end of the day, you know, let's 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 see, you know, where it goes. No, that's a good point, Darren. I mean, it's a, I, I guess, Seth, I don't know if you would know it or not as far as when it comes to the head coach. So, if Doug had the opportunity, and let's just say that that the leadership had told him what Nate put on there. Would Doug have had the ultimate decision to say, you know what, no, I'm not. I'm just going to leave Jalen in there? Or would he still have been let go if he didn't listen to the higher-ups? I don't think that that, that scenario really had a whole lot to do with it. I believe that it came down to this. Um, you know, there was a report as soon as the season was over that said that Doug was safe. And then they had the conversation. He flew and, you know, he had the, the first interview, the first conversation with Jeffrey. And then they scheduled another one. He had to fly down to Florida. And then the decision was made. And if you listen to that 50-minute um, presser that Jeffrey, you know, had right after the firing, you know, you can kind of see what transpired. I think Doug was sick and tired of Howie and Jeffrey telling him, you know, who his coaches were going to be. That was one piece of it. But the greater piece was, you know, he said there was a, a fracture in, in, in vision, okay? The, the organization – 
And even Doug, he knew that the team was, you know, was up against the salary cap. But Doug Peterson was not going to, to survive another year in Philadelphia like he just had in 2020. That just was not going to happen, okay? Right. So the best thing that could have happened for Doug was to exit stage left, okay? Because he wanted to fix it this year. Jeffrey and Howie is telling him, listen, we don't have the money to do it. We, you know, this we're, we're, we our Super Bowl window closed. We exhausted all our resources. We mortgaged the farm to chase Super Bowls from 2017 to 2020. It didn't work out. Now we've got to take a step back and reevaluate this. Doug knows that, you know, hey, I'm not going to survive another year. So he, he, he probably, I believe that he made the decision, you know, hey, I'm out. But really what Jeffrey was saying is that, you know, we need another coach to come in that buys us two or three years to be able to, to, to re, you know, to restock this thing the way it needs to be done. We got to start over, if you will, not start over all the way from scratch, but we got to start over. And Doug, you know, maybe isn't, isn't the guy to do it because he wants to fix it now. And we know it's going to take two to three years in reality the media and the fans and everything else in Philadelphia was not going to let Doug live another year trying to figure it out. No, that's, you're right there. Great point there. And and by the way, just to let you know, before I come into the next comment here, so the guy directly below me, he's <laughs> an absolute favorite fan of Harry Roseman. If you want to see him get fired up, just bring his name and good Lord, just wind him up, let him go. <laughs> but, the next time I want to bring up here, this is Mike Klein. He's a great friend of mine. He is the owner of uh, Philly to South, and we usually watch the game down here. If you ever get a chance to come down to down to Tampa area, we go down to Tampa Joe's in, in Tampa, and that's where all the Eagles fans from up north, they come down and end up watching the game. So he says, hello, Seth. First of all, you're my all-time favorite Eagle. I wear my 59 shirt all the time, which is the absolute truth. As the founder of the largest Eagles fan club in the Southeast USA since 1995, over 1,700 members nationwide called Philly the South, could we chat with you about doing a meet and greet with you in Tampa, Florida during the 2021 season? Let's go, Eagles. I have this information, uh, and thanks to Mike Klein. And, and you don't have to answer right now, of course, but you know, after the show, we can talk about it. <laughs> hey, listen, man, I'm, I'm I'm available, man. Hey, all the great golf down in Tampa Bay. You kidding me? <laughs> let's make it. Let's let's make it happen. Just as long as it doesn't interfere with my job on Sunday, I'm good. Well, listen, if you need, you know, right here at the studio, I would love to have you in studio. So uh, there's an extra room that we make it for our guests. So and you can come down here and not worry about a thing. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Tom says, "Love watching you in the post game show. Keep uh, in the post game show. Sorry, keeping it honest and keeping it real. And and I will say, as he as he talks about that comment there, if over your left shoulder, there's times at the end of the game that the way you look in that poster is almost the way you want to look on TV when when the Eagles just go, <laughs> <laughs> not the direction that we hope for them to go." Uh, Bill says, uh, "Body bag, Jim, at the vet against the, the Redskins." Body bag game, buddy. Game, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dougie also says, I think you should go coach or help coach at Philadelphia Eagles. If you could, would you do it? Oh, geez. <laughs> and then, uh, Tom says, I hope you coach somewhere in the NFL someday, maybe, uh, maybe Eagles. And, and by the way, Tom just celebrated his birthday this past week. Nick, hit him with it because you know you want to ask it, so hit him with All it. Right. I'm going to ask. So you said you were a Houston Oilers fan. 1990, 1991, I wasn't born. Monday Night Football, 102-degree fever, 
two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and two sacks. Take us through that night, and did you just go God mode, or what's the deal? What happened that night? No, you know, um, you, you hear people talk about being in the zone, um, and that's one of maybe three, maybe four games in my career, you know, that I can honestly, you know, look back now, now that I understand it, say that, you know, I was in the zone. And I think a lot of it, you know, was attributed to the fact, you know, if I would have known how to get myself there more when I was playing, you know, I think all athletes would do it. But, you know, when, being sick, you kind of move yourself, you know, out of that conscious state of thinking your way through the game. Because real, realistically, once you get to Sunday, if the hanging in the barn, if you haven't done the work, if you haven't studied, if you haven't prepared, if you don't know a team's tendencies, if you don't know, you know, field position tendencies and 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 um, formational tendencies and what they like to do in certain situations, then you're likely, you know, you're likely to get fooled during the game. Um, so I was a preparer. I was a film watcher. So I was always, I was prepared for the game. You know, but when I got sick, I really got sick. We flew in, I want to say Sunday night, and um, I, it just got progressively worse. We got the game time. You know, our trainer, Otho Davis, looked at me. He's like, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to go today. I looked at him. And I was like, you and a wild pack of horses are not going to stop me from playing this damn game tonight. So, you know, I resolved in my mind. I said, you know, your energy is going to be down. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're going to have a tough time breathing, you know, just – Play all out every play, and wherever you are on the field, just take a knee, get your win. And as you're walking back, even if they're lining up, just turn to Byron. He'll give you he'll give you the the call, and just play ball. And that's what I did for the entire game, you know. And because I was focused on just that, all the information, all the data that I had put in my mind during the week, it seemed like every play that they had going on, I knew what was going on, you know. So um, it's it's a weird thing. You know, I mean, athletes, you know, wish all the time that they could live in that world of being in the zone in a game. You know, you think about the great players, you know, the great players that live there, that play there for a career. Um, it's a phenomenal thing. Um, but I would love to, have, you know, learn how to do that, how to put myself in the zone for a career, uh, because it's, it's an awesome thing. You know, when everything, every decision you make, every move you make is the right move. That was a Seth, house of pain game. Good, 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 good. Seth, I was just gonna. When you look at since since the schedule came out yesterday, and I, I hate talking about schedules and stuff like that because there's a lot that can happen from now until when that first game kicks off. Injuries, other stuff going on. I don't like making my predictions until two days before the season actually kicks off. So now, when you look at the season schedule and what they did in the draft and how this team is now um, constructed. Do you have a little bit of hope that they can do better than they're going to do? Or is it like, well, it's probably going to take another two, three years before we actually where we want to be? No, listen, if you think about it, you know, the the defense always lags behind when you're, you know, reconstructing your team or you're retooling or you're rebuilding your team. So the defense is going to be behind the offense. If you really think about it, um, the offensive line for the last few years have been a strong suit, the strong port of the offensive of the offensive unit. You know, if we can keep those guys healthy, you know, if Brandon Brooks can stay healthy, if Lane Johnson can stay healthy, if Jason Kelsey can, you know, whether this is last year or not, if he can stay healthy, 
if you can create great competition over on the other side between Isaac Sayamalo, and I don't think that, you know, Landon Dickerson is a guy that's going to be sitting in the wings waiting for, if he's healthy, waiting for Jason Kelsey to walk away. I would slot him in right there behind Isaac Sayamalo and create some competition. You know, the greatest competition that you're going to see is over at left tackle because I think right now everybody knows that Jordan Malata is the best guy for the job. But because the Eagles drafted Andre Dillard in the first round, they want him to start. So that's going to be an interesting, you know, note. So if you get the offensive line solidified, you know, now you got a bunch of young wide receivers that are coming. You got a solid offensive backfield. You got a young quarterback that if you protect him, he makes smart decisions with the football. Um, if you run the ball and you stay somewhat balanced, I know that's not what Jeffrey wants to do based right. upon some of the things that we've heard, but the running game and a great offensive line is a quarterback's best friend. So if you stay balanced for him, then you give him a chance to succeed. Um, I think the offense are going to, they're going to have some great games and they're going to have some head scratching games. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to take a while for them to come along and they're going to need for the offense and the special teams to carry them until they find their way. But I don't think they're going to be as bad as everyone thinks they're probably going to be because the rest of the division, you know, listen, Dallas should be running away with this darn division every year when you look at what they have on the offensive side of the ball if Dak Prescott is healthy. Now, they're garbage on the defensive side, you know, and, and they, they, they bring in Dan Quinn, who's basically a cover three guy, pretty, you know, conservative in his approach. You know, if that's his approach, then that's going to give offenses – you know, in the NFL opportunities, you know, to to make plays because there's only so much you can do out of a cover three show. He's got to change his mode and he's got to be a little more aggressive. Um, but the Cowboys should be running away with this darn division, but they're not, you know, right. and because they're not, that bodes well for the Eagles, the Washington football team and the New York Giants. And it's going to make for an interesting combination of games, you know, between those four teams and the division. And you look at the rest of the schedule, listen, they got some teams on the schedule that they're quite simply not going to beat. They're not beating the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a 50-50 coin toss, you know, that they may even be competitive against the Raiders. Um, the L.A. Chargers is going to be a tough game. They're not beating the New Orleans Saints, you know. And then once you get past that juncture, you know, you, you end the, the end of the season with, you know, all of these divisional games and you know how those games are. I don't care how good or how, how bad a team is when you're playing against your division foes, you find a way to get up and that those games can go either way, no matter where you're situated or what the circumstances look like. So I don't think the Eagles in 2021 is going to, they're going to be as bad as everyone thinks. There's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some head scratches, but there's going to be, you know, some great things that we see. And they're just, you know, for me, this is a year to build. If they do anything above that, then great. Seth, do you see Zach Ertz in an Eagles uniform come this 2021 season? Hey, listen, why not? I mean, you got the guy under contract. There's nothing that says that you have to you have to get rid of him. You don't have another tight end that you can plug in for your 12 personnel grouping. Um, the guy had an off year. Look at all the great years that he had, you know? Exactly. Look, look at all the great years. I mean, can we give Zach Ertz one bad year? You know, one bad one one year to kind of you know pout a little bit because we didn't get the extension. One bad year, you know, when Carson Wentz, you know, played absolutely horrific. You know, one bad year where the offensive line was just decimated. Let's, let's give him one one bad year if he's willing to come back and play under the contract that he signed to, which isn't peanuts. 
you know, then there's no reason why, you know, you wouldn't bring Zach Ertz back because if he really wants out of here, he needs a solid year with the Philadelphia Eagles in order to raise his value to go somewhere else and get what he wants. Because right now where he is, he holds no value and the Eagles aren't just going to give him away. Can you also see the addition of carry on Johnson and Jordan Howard mixing, making this team with the, with Miles Sanders in the backfield? You know, the, the funny thing is I'm trying to figure out, you know, how many running backs are you trying to keep? I mean, you got Miles Sanders, right. you got Boston Scott, um, you got um, Jordan Howard, who you just re-signed, you draft Kenneth Gainwell, then you pick up Karrion Johnson, you know, off the waiver wire, and you got three or four other guys that signed futures contracts, the Holyfield kid and three other guys. I mean, you got nine, eight, nine running backs, you know. How are you going to give this many running backs enough of a look to even know what you have? You know, so real, realistically, you know, the, the bottom half of those guys are pretty much just training camp bodies, you know, practice bodies. Um, but if Kerryon Johnson can get back healthy, then in my opinion, he creates – I think the game well creates competition for Boston Scott. He makes Boston Scott expendable. But I also right. think that Kerryon Johnson – and the Jordan Howard, because you need the big bruiser back. And I don't know the carry-on is that guy, but I know that Jordan Howard can be that guy. And how much he actually has left in the tank is yet to be seen. But the competition, you know, at that position with so many guys is going to be really interesting. You know, Gamewell is going to have to grow from a protection standpoint, everything else you love about him. Um, Boston Scott, you know, has still got to continue to improve and get better. But Carrion Johnson's also got to prove that he's 100% healthy and that, you know, if they make a decision to keep him on this roster, that he can be healthy and that he can contribute. Because, you know, normally what do you keep? Three running backs? The way that they're constructing right. right now, they got to be considering three to four. You know, exactly. and if that's the case, two of those guys better be damn good special teams players. No, it's true. Listen, I want to get back to what I, I was going to ask earlier as far as when it comes to Jalen Hurts, because if, if you listen to, of course, everyone around the league as far as – League members, the media members, they talk about Jalen Hurts. You get half of the media members that don't believe that Jalen Hurts will be the starting quarterback for next this season coming up. And then you have the other ones that are saying to give him a chance. I think, you know, for the four games that we saw Jalen Hurts last year, is he going to make the rookie mistake? And truthfully, I see it as his rookie campaign coming up this year just because the way last uh, last season started and finished. But Jalen Hurts, to me, is a – he should be a proven quarterback for the Eagles. I, I know Nick Sirianni wants to make it a QB competition. I understand it. I get it with Joe Flacco. But to me, Jalen Hurts, it should be his team. I think he also improved now with Devontae Smith. Hightower, I believe, will improve as well as Jalen Rager. So I'd like to get your thoughts. Do you believe that Jalen Hurts should be the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles? Let me ask you a question. Who is the Who are the media people that don't believe he's going to be the starting quarterback? Who's going to be? You mean tell me Joe Flacco is going to beat Jalen Hurts out for the starting job? Hell to no. No way. <laughs> I'll retire from broadcasting if Jalen Hurts, if, if he doesn't win the starting the starting job over Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's been done since he left the Ravens. You know, right. even that comment, oh, I didn't come here to back up. I came here to compete. Well, okay. All right. I got some, I got some swamp land, you know, in Arizona. I want to, I want to sell you. Um, listen, what I, love, what I love about Jalen Hurts, is, you know, you got to look at it's the things in life that you endure that shapes the person that you become, okay? So I go all the way back to his time at Alabama. He comes in mm -hmm. Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, 
a, a read option quarterback, a running quarterback. You know, they try to turn him into a passer. He wins a, a national championship before he actually, you know, begins to improve as a passer because that team was just that good. Um, he begins to falter because, you know, they the game is changing. You got to get away from the running game. You got to start throwing the ball, and he's not accurate. And, you know, he's a one-read guy, and it's not working. Um, Tua comes in and takes his job. And most kids would have jumped in the, into, the, into the transfer portal right there. Right, right then and there, they would have been, I'm out. That kid stayed right there, okay? He stayed right there. He went through the competition that Nick Saban said that there was going to be, and he lost the competition, and he stayed at Alabama. And when Tua got hurt, you know, and he had to step in, he won them the SEC championship that allowed them to get back to the national championship again, okay? It wasn't until his senior year that when Tua was entrenched in that position that he said, okay, if I'm going to play at the next level, I got to go somewhere to up my value. He makes the decision to go to Oklahoma. Um, Lincoln Raleigh transforms his passing efficiency, and the kid lights it up, okay? So for people who say that he can't throw the football, go back and look at his senior statistics when he was at Oklahoma. That will answer your question whether or not – he can throw the ball. Now, I say all of that to say, look at what he's been through, okay? Look at his mentality when he steps in front of the mic. Look at what's being said about this kid by his teammates. Never leaves the building. Never came in looking like a rookie. Always looked like, you know, comported himself like a leader, okay? Hard worker. So if you've got all of those things, it's almost impossible for you not to succeed, okay? So all they got to do is... Give him the playbook. He's going to digest it, coach him up, protect him, great play calling, and the Eagles are going to be fine. Even if he has to be a game manager this year, do it. But then allow him to grow to a point where he gets to a point in his career, maybe in year three or maybe four, where you take the reins off and you let him become the quarterback, the franchise quarterback that you need him to be so that you can begin to compete for championships again. Now, listen. The Wentz apologists, the Wentz lovers, they're always going to be wanting for Jalen Hurst to fall on his face and fail. They want Howie to look like, you know, he made the most egregious mistake in the world. But, you know, at the end of the day, Carson Wentz is in Indianapolis. Close the book. Right. Turn the page. Shut the door. Okay? I'm not talking about him anymore. Jalen Hurst is going to be the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Let's see what he can do. Let's root for him like, you know, like he's any other quarterback, you know, for our team that we want that guy to be successful. I want to get two exactly. more comments in before uh, before I turn over back over to Fuji here. Uh, Dougie says, tell me this. Do you think they should move the KC to a Sunday night game? Um, hey, listen, anytime you can get the Eagles on prime time, do it. <laughs> do it. I think, you know, if, the, if, you, if it was a late season game, and, you know, Kansas City's doing what they're doing. And, you know, the Eagles, you know, have shocked the league and, you know, got to the end of the year with a, a halfway decent schedule. They probably would flex that game. But, right. you know, I, I don't I don't know. You know, I I was on Twitter today looking at, you know, the Eagles and the Giants fan battling it out over the fact that the Giants got three primetime games and the Eagles only got two. It's just like they're <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it's anytime, anytime you get the birds on primetime for me, I love it, man. Yeah, it's funny, too, how you mentioned it. it is a, Bill, I'll get to your question here momentarily, but it's funny you talk about the Giants because the Giants fans, not only are they hurt from the last year's game, the final game, uh, Week 16, 
but also because the Eagles jumped up to get Devontae Smith, which they swore they were going to get him. So this is the first game against the Giants, I think it's going to be a nosebleed fest because there's going to be a lot of tension between the Eagles and Giants. Uh, Bill says, Seth, <clears throat> Eagles have had great linebackers as yourself. Why do you think this team doesn't value the position anymore? Well, I, I think that I think that, that started, you know, when Joe Banner was the the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles and you had, you know, the the great mind of Jim Johnson running the defense. Um and he saw that he had a special player in um in B Doc and decided that he was going to be everything to the to the defense. You needed a guy that could beat a line beat a, um, a tight end up at the line of scrimmage and linebacker. They had that. Um, and they had some guys that they could move in and out in the middle. They had a run stopper and trot, you know. Um, and, you know, if they need the blitz, they brought Doc. If they need to shut a guy down, they put Doc on. You know, they – so that all started there, you know. But the game has transformed even beyond that, you know, because – you know, when you got a great defense coordinator like Jim Johnson, you can make moves, you know, that would would benefit you not having that great playmaking linebacker. And I'm not saying Jeremiah Trotter wasn't a great, great playmaking linebacker. He was one of the absolute linebacker greats, you know, in Philadelphia Eagles, you know, history. Um, but when you fast forward to today's NFL, nobody plays a 3-4 front. No one plays a 4-3 front anymore. Everyone's playing a 4-2 front. Because offenses are dictating it. You're going, you know, three wides, four wides sometimes. That dictates, you know, the personnel that you can put in the game because offenses can create the type of mismatches that they want if you don't adjust. Um, but, so to that point, if you're primarily playing and living in a 4-2, you better go get two linebackers that are straight hell raisers. You know, look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, look at um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Look at the history of um, the Seattle Seahawks with their two inside guys. You got to have, you know, at least one guy that's a playmaker and one guy that's a stalwart that will do everything properly. The Eagles haven't haven't valued that position because I still think, you know, they believe that whoever the defensive coordinator is, they can be a Jim Johnson. God rest his soul, that guy ain't walking through the door anymore. You're not you you that kind of mindset and that kind of aggressive nature. You just don't see very often in the NFL anymore. Um, so I think they need to put more value. On it. But just as long as, you know, that's the mindset that's been, you know, seeded into Howie Roseman through Joe Banner, you know, they're just not going to value the position. I wanted the Eagles to take Michael Parsons, you know, with that with that um, 12th pick. And, you know, and even if they had to move down to get him, because, you know, when you get a guy like that, that guy changes – everything on the defensive side of the ball. It's phenomenal when you really stop and you think about it because that one player on defense, he changes the mentality of the defense. He plays, he changes the way the defensive, all the players play because you watch this guy running all over the place. He holds everybody else accountable by the play that he exhibits on the field, a la Bobby Wagner. Um, um, um um, what's the kid? I'm trying to remember his name down in Carolina. That just Keekly, Luke Keekly, um, a guy like Ray Lewis. You know, those guys change the dynamic of the way the defenses play, how they look at themselves, and how the rest of the league looks at your defense because it raises the level of your entire defense. But they're just they won't spend that kind of draft capital on that position because they think that you know you're going to win championships purely on the offensive side of the ball. 
Seth, I had two questions to ask you. What was it like playing under Buddy Ryan in one of the best defenses ever assembled? And also, what is it like working with Ray Dedinger? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, playing for Buddy, man. I mean, I, I couldn't have. I couldn't have stepped into a better situation than I did, you know, coming to Philadelphia under Buddy Ryan. Um, the mindset was similar. Um, his methods and, and, and motives, you know, did not shake my will. Um, there was a lot of players, you know, that he could chase off with some of the banter and some of the things that he would do. I mean, he would call you out, you know, in the media, in the paper, on TV, on the radio. He'd just flat call you out. But I always knew that, you know, Buddy was a, a, a military mind, you know, and military is about, you know, the mental strength, you know, of, of a soldier. You know, how do you make him so mentally strong that he cannot be broken? Um, and that's what he was trying to do, you know, with our defense, especially the first couple of years when I got there. He was going to get rid of the guys that were mentally weak, and he only wanted the guys that were mentally strong. So he could get on me. He could say whatever he wanted to say. I took what I needed to take. And all the other crap I let go out the other ear because I understood, you know, what he was doing. But once you became one of his guys, you were like one of his sons. I mean, I just I love playing for the guy. It's the reason when I left Philadelphia, I went to Arizona because he took the job there. Um, I wanted to be reunited with that type of mindset. Um, he was a fine, a, a, a phenomenal defensive mind that was years, years ahead you know, of, of everybody else. I mean, people talk about all oh, zone blitzes and all of these different, you know, multiple defenses and mixed coverages. Man, we were doing all that crap back in 1986, 84, 85, 87, man. There was no doubt about it. We were just, you know, we were running zone blitzes where Clyde would drop and I would rush from the other side. We were running, you know, half half man, half zone concepts. We were we had automatic fronts and coverages, you know, where, you know, if they came out in one formation, we had a defense set. If they shifted to another formation, we had another defense call for that. We had automatic blitzes in the same manner. We were doing all of that stuff that these guys find, in, you know, inventive, you know, today. Um, so, you know, when you talk about Buddy, man, my goodness, um, I missed the guy. You know, I mean, he passed away a couple of years ago, but, you know, he was he was a guy that, you know, you either loved or you hated and, you know, and if you loved him and he loved you back, it was a phenomenal relationship. Um, so what was what was the second half of your question? I forgot. Well, what's it like working with Ray Dedinger oh, on the Eagles oh. postgame live? How can I forget that? You know, I love working next to Ray because um, at times I kind of rub off on Ray. You know, he'll say some things, and I look at him, I'm like, Ray. And he's like, the longer I sit next to you, the more I start <laughs> acting like you. And vice versa, you know. I sit there, you know, you see Ray with the yellow legal pad and he's writing stuff down. And I find myself during the game taking notes now so that I have those little those little um, checkpoints that I can go back to and refer to and show. The thing I love about it the most is that if I need some information, I mean, we could go to commercial break and I'll be like, Ray, back in 1992, mm -hmm. when we played so and so and so, you know, what happened? You know, and he just like that. I mean, the guy's like a walking computer. You know, and he is just honestly the the nicest guy that you ever want to meet. But I love when he gets riled up, you know, right. and a little bit of me rubs off on him. And, you know, he starts spitting, you know, a little bit of vitriol. And everybody's like, who is that? <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a little bloodline. I got a little thing taped in his arm. I'm giving him a little bit of this. <laughs> <Seth Gordon. laughs> 
Listen, so that's a great, go ahead. Right. It's all right. Listen, I'm trying the way, like just how you described it. It's the same way. Just wait until the guy below me gets a little bit fired up when just how <laughs> it's like the Bible. Told. You just throw it at him. He's like, Oh my God, what's going on here? So he'll get fired up maybe before, before it's over. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Seth. So Ryan. Seth, I was going to, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that about Jalen hurts earlier, only from the standpoint of, you know, I, I'm a college football fanatic, man. I mean, I watch college football 24, seven, 12, 12 noon on Saturday till 3 o'clock in the morning until the last game's over. So, and everybody, you know, once that whole situation with, you know, CW was done, you know, everybody kept asking me about Jalen Hurts. And I'm like, look, and I'm glad you brought up what you did because the kid went through, like you said, he was at Alabama. He went through that all that adversity. He came out better for it. Then he went to Oklahoma and he shined. Then he came to Philadelphia and he went through that. People need to understand something about the kid. He's got the the he's got in between here to deal with the Philadelphia media, the fans, the whole nine yards. He's got the attitude, and then the other thing I think that he brings to the table, Seth, is you know, last year when the Eagles were going through what they're going through, and you came you, you came from a team of them. You know damn well guys were going to step leadership. You step up in the locker room. You get up in front of the guys. Boom. You know, and I, I think Jalen Hurts sort of brings that to the table, and I thought that's what the Eagles lacked last year is who is who is stepping up in the locker room player-wise to just say, look, guys, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. I'm taking ownership. I'm going to lead this team. This is where we're going to go. And I and I know, I know you, you know what I'm talking about because you came from a hell of a defense that had a bunch of guys like that. Well, listen, I'll say this. And, and, and I said, you know, I wanted to turn the page, shut the door, you know, close the book on Carson. But, you know, you asked the question, you know, so, you know, me, I'm just going to keep it 100. Um, I, I think that the thing with Carson Wentz is what he does, what, what Jalen Hurts, I should say, what he does is he's accessible to everyone. When you're the quarterback of a team, you have to be accessible to everyone. In order for you to be the leader of the organization, the leader of the team, you have to be connected to not only the guys on the offense, but the guys on the defensive side of the ball. From what I understand, there was, you know, factions in the locker room that Carson didn't jive all that well with. You can't be the leader of the team and be and be that guy. You got to figure out a way, you know, to, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Endear yourself to, you know, the other 52 guys on the roster. That's just what's necessary. So when you think about Jalen Hurts, you know, you hear the guy came in, he never acted like a rookie. He acted like a leader from day one. You know, guys are only going to follow somebody that they trust. They're only going to follow somebody that they believe in. Um, when I look at Jalen Hurts, I look at a guy who is supremely built to deal with the city of Philadelphia, okay? There's not a lot of players. There, there, I've seen a lot of players come to Philadelphia and the media and the fans eat them up, eat them up. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have the ability to play. They don't have the ability to deal with the chatter that goes on, you know, on WIP and the the Philly, the Philadelphia Inquirer and, you know, on the TV stations. They don't have the ability to do all of that. When I look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, he just keeps his head down and keeps going. He doesn't worry about it. He don't get too high. You know, he didn't get too high when he had the good game against against the Saints. When he won the game, nobody expected for him to win. He stepped up to the podium, and all he was talking about was the next week. You know, 
when he had a bad game, you know, he didn't come in with his head down and, you know, woe is me. He assumed responsibility for it, even in some some instances where it wasn't his his fault. He assumed responsibility. As a leader, that's what you do. That's how you raise everybody else up, is that you assume responsibility even when you know it's that receiver's fault for dropping that ball, even when you know it's that, that running back's fault for fumbling the ball, even when you know it's your offensive lineman's fault for missing that block. You assume the responsibility, and then guess what happened? Those guys begin to fight for you, and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. When Carson Wentz got hurt, did you see offensive linemen or hit you? Did you see offensive linemen running to help him get up? Did you see them, you know, protect him? Like when Jadavian Clowney hit him last year in that game, somebody should have took a 15-yard penalty on that play. I don't care whether it's on the offensive side or the defensive side. It was clearly a dirty hit, okay? And somebody should have sent the message, you don't handle our quarterback that way. Not a single offensive lineman said or did anything but at times when you saw Jalen Hurts get sacked when you seen him scramble you know you saw guys run to pick him up off the ground that says a lot I watch the little things when it comes to stuff like that that says that speaks volumes and that guy is built mentally physically and psychologically for the city of brotherly love exactly great facts great facts Seth I want to touch a little bit on Kind of your playing career and kind of what you see now. So my first question is, who did you look up to uh, when when modeling your game? And what guy do you watch now that you go, wow, that guy plays a lot like I did? Um, It's interesting because I don't think I really ever modeled my game out after anyone. You know, I needed to learn how to pass rush in the 46 defense. So I did study. You know, I studied LT. I studied Reggie White. I studied, you know, Derek Thomas, Pat Swilling, you know, all the past great pass rushes during my era. I studied them to learn how to pass rush. You know, I even studied Clyde and asked him for tips. Uh, but I don't think I really modeled my game after anybody because, you know, my game was a little different. I don't think I was in that era of first linebackers to actually stay on the field all three downs. Um, so I don't think I really modeled my game after anyone. And when I look at, you know, a lot of these guys today, um, it's hard to just pick one, um, but I like a lot of these young guys. I like Bobby Wagner, even though he's at the end. Um, I like the way, you know, the um, Devin Bush kid down in Tampa Bay played. Even Levante David, I mean, he got outshined in the Super Bowl, but he's a phenomenal player. Guys who can do it all, you know. The thing about linebackers, to me, you're, a linebacker is a unique player because he's a hybrid, you know. You got the guys on the back end, they're concerned with, you know, the deep ball. You got the guys up front, they're concerned with, you know, getting to the quarterback. Then you got the linebackers that's in the middle. They're the hybrid. I'm a half linebacker, half secondary guy. What does that mean? I got to be an integral part of what goes on in the running game. I got fits. I got responsibilities. But I got to be, you know, tethered to what's going on behind me with those secondary guys as well. So when you got guys, um, you got linebackers in the game that can do that, that don't have to be subbed out on third down, you know, that don't have to be subbed out in short yardage situations. To me, that that's the guy, you know, that that looks more like, you know, the old school Seth Joyner, the guy that can stay in the game, that can do it all, can do whatever's asked, line up on wide receivers and cover them if you have to, line up on running backs and shut them down, line up on tight ends and stone them at the line and take them out of the pass progression, be able to step up and take on an offensive lineman and get to a gap, be able to read the pulling guards and pulling tackles and all of these things. Be able to read the quarterback's eyes and break on the ball and get an interception, get a strip sack, 
get a sack, get a cause fumble, those types of things. If you can do it all, to me, that's the ultimate linebacker. Seth, I had two, just one more question for you. When you played for the Packers and the Broncos, what was it like playing with Brett Favre and John Elway? Oh, listen, it was awesome. I mean, they were both great, great teammates. Um, obviously, you know, you if you hang out with Brett Favre, you're going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I might not care too much about some of his rhetoric lately, but you know, as a teammate, he was a he was a phenomenal, phenomenal teammate. You know, then you take a guy like Elway. I mean, he's just a consummate pro. You know, I mean, he was right. this, this, the same type of guy, man. That you know, when I talk about taking the heat and being a great leader, that's what he was. You know, and he wasn't just a leader for the offensive side of the ball, but every guy on the defensive side. You know, completely and utterly respected. You know, who he was as the leader. You know, in the forefront of of, of that organization. No, that's oh, sorry. I'm bringing back the mic here. I was trying to get in here real quick. Uh, one thing is that I want to bring it back just so everyone follows the proper way that we were talking about earlier. So <laughs> the way to do it is, number one, through Twitter, at Seth Joyner. Again, the certified blue check bar lets you know that it is Seth. Again, don't go by the bogus accounts. Along with, on Instagram, the Seth Joyner Show. If I go. got it correct this time. And also, as I was trying to put together real quick on the banner, also the Seth Joyner Show on YouTube. Make sure you do just like we do. Subscribe. Make sure you hit that bell for everything and anything for Seth Joyner. So make sure you guys follow the show because, Seth, again, you put it together. Such a fantastic show, and we really do appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much again for taking the time for being with us tonight. I do. You got it, man. Anyways, it's, sorry, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure being on with you guys. Hey, and you guys that are watching, absolutely go over and subscribe to that YouTube channel. I'd appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, man, thanks for having me. It's been a blast, man. Thank you, Seth. We appreciate, appreciate it very it. much. Again, everyone, we thank Seth Jordan for coming on with us tonight. And uh, also thanks to the missus as she was communicating back and forth with us as well. <laughs> so thank her. Um, again, everyone, make sure you follow Seth. Check out the show. He does a phenomenal job. And I'm pretty sure your viewership is going to end up growing. And I will get in contact with you uh, later on about the Tampa Joes. So <laughs> Absolutely. You All got right, it. So look All for right. that message. Appreciate Seth, thank you so much. You got it, guys. Peace. Take care. Thanks, bud. All right. So. Uh, let me bring everybody back here equally. Uh, so thanks to Seth Joyner and Mike. Sorry, I, I did see you you threw in there real quick. Any thoughts about 99? Um, I was trying to get Bill's question in there, and I know Seth had to run. We had bonus time with Seth, and we do appreciate Seth being on with us more than just the 15 minutes. So thank you so much to Seth Joyner. Um, <clears throat> the same way, goodness, I'm going to lose my voice here. Uh, but thank you to Seth. And, and Bill's question was, if, if Seth believed – if the if the tragedy being Jerome Brown would have maybe had better success, maybe the crown jewel. What was his thoughts? Well, unfortunately, maybe we can get your answer, Bill, uh, afterwards, and ask <laughs> it out on Broad Street South. Add him on Twitter. Add him on Twitter and see if he responds. There you go, and do it that way as well. Uh, <clears throat> Ducky, I know so far the answer to that question. The <clears throat> so the OTAs. And the mini camps were supposed to be held together, but the right now the NFL, as far as the association itself, stated that they will not at the moment have any OTAs, at least pertaining to prior to the camp. So the camp is yet to be seen. There will be three preseason games that we know about, and it could change down to two from three. But for right now, uh, camp is off limits unless the guys want to voluntarily go in 
uh, down at the NovaCare Center. So <clears throat> thanks again to Seth uh, coming on with us. The huge announcement that I would like to make, well, if we're going to make the announcement here, it's got to be the proper way. And what I thought was fitting for this next announcement, and I hope all you guys and ladies who are joining us tonight also will celebrate with us. And again, thanks to Seth Joyner. So here is the big announcement that we've been waiting for. And we would like to announce this. I'm losing my voice here, and it's really exciting for us here at Broad Street South. So our new partners, <laughs> as you guys can see down there on the bottom right corner, it is Goose's Monte Cristo and Lounge Tobacconist. And uh, thanks to John Geese um, and, and along with Brian Neff, who is uh, friends with John, for taking the opportunity at least to talk to us and to come on board with us. I can't tell you how excited we are for this next move because as you saw there in the banner that there will be, as I see the, the comments coming in, uh, <clears throat> you'll see the guys on location at times up there at uh, in Limerick. So you'll see between Fuji, between Ryan, I know the same way when it comes to Sherman, you'll be able to see those guys up there on a meet and greet. And yes, I will come up to do a show live from the lounge. So, And by the way, some of the pictures that you saw from the lounge – it's changed a little bit because there will be, and I'll, and I'll be talking to Goose myself to get more updated pictures, but there will be a studio built within the bar, which already currently is, and it's going to be inside the bar. So you, not only will you be able to watch us live, you'll be able to see the, from the TV monitors, the guys on location, and yes, I will make that trip up there. And who knows? It could be the opener of the Eagles game. So we'll see. We'll, you will see exactly how that's going to play out. But again, thanks to Goose. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that rocky feeling. But thanks to Goose. And of course, uh, for them to come on as the new BM partners, we are excited where the show is going to go next, which means it's just going to get bigger and better for everyone. So that big opportunity that we've all been waiting for, this 10-year dream, thanks to Goose, is all coming into reality. And the same way with my cousin Maria, who shares the show, I know the guys do all the time. My other cousin, Papo, and if those guys didn't do what they did to share this show, to make things happen, you guys, the viewers, for helping us out and also sharing, liking, and following the page, this would not have happened. So thank you once again to Goose. It goes far, far down the road for us. And uh, this studio will actually get probably a good upgrade in order to host someone like Seth Jordan when he comes into town 
uh, for the meet and greet. So we'll get together with Seth Joyner about the meet and greet. But again, thanks to Goose's Monte Cristo Lounge and Tobacconist. And it is in Limerick. And I want to bring up the website because I know I had it up here, but I'm probably going to have to bring it up again because it's the way things work. Sorry. Here's right, well, he's pulling that up. I'm going to try my best to get up there for a uh, for a show as well. We'll uh, we'll work our cards. We'll work our magic. I don't know about opening day just because that's Clemson's parents' weekend, I think. But I'll definitely gonna try to get out there for sure. As long as it's not Clemson, Florida State, buddy. Yeah, it won't be. It won't be. It won't be. Right. <laughs> so as you guys see right here on your screen, right? So Goose's Money Crystal Lounge and Tobacconist. It is located at 250 West Ridge Pike in Limerick, <coughs> Pennsylvania. As you can see, the store hours are from 12 to 8 on Monday, Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 8, and Sunday, 1130 to 7. We hope that the house gets completely packed with everyone, not only just because of the Eagles game, obviously for your cigars, your vaping action, for the pool table action, and I believe it's a BYOB, if I remember correctly, Ryan. Indeed it is, sir, and they do have a little wet bar, but as far as, like, you know, you have to obviously bring your own beer, but the place is huge, man. I mean, I'll just, I was telling Angel the other day that, you know, when we were having the meeting the other day with uh, John, I was just, it was just like me, John and Rob that were sitting in there and there were two older gentlemen. They were literally like, they were across the cigar lounge <laughs> and they were sitting in there with their igloo cooler because we all have to have an igloo cooler. They were drinking their beverages, and there's not a man, child, or woman alive that doesn't enjoy a refreshing, tasty beverage. They were smoking their cigars. All we were doing was having a meeting. And guess what they did? They actually scooted all the way over to see what we were talking about, and we were just having a meeting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just, hey, and before we, I'm, I'm just going to say one last thing. In honor of our guest last week, Joe DeCamera, and it might be my new catchphrase. I'm Ryan F, and it was <laughs> glad to be with you. <laughs> Sherman? I could, I could see Fuji's thrilled. <laughs> no, I don't. It's not fine. <laughs> Get off your phone. Pay attention to the show, dude. We're, we're, we're still on live. Come on. Yeah, we're on live. <laughs> so, listen. Thanks again to everyone who likes, shares, and follow the page. And please tell your friends, tell everyone, right? Not only just Broad Street South on Facebook, obviously Broad Street South Pod on Twitter, also on Instagram, on Twitch. You can, of course, go to BroadStreetSouth.com. That's BroadSTSouth.com. Also, while you're there, don't forget to look at the RSS feed so you can download the Tuesday shows on Wednesday, and if you missed the one this past Tuesday, i.e. came out on Wednesday, it was our own beat writer, Nick Lisi, who took the helm for the very first time with his good friend, Steph Jones. It was a lot of fun as we talked about spike ball, and I just got to kick back for once and just listen in what was going on. Nick, great job by you and Steph Jones. And, and Steve, listen, he was like, he described everything to a T, so he did a fantastic job. So next time you see him, you let him know. Nick. He did a really good job. Very descriptive. Hey, it was awesome. Hey, he did a he did an amazing job, and I had a blast. I I got to learn quite a bit that I didn't know either, and I'm living with the guy next year, so it was great to have a good conversation with him. Nick, put the shades on for the ladies, dude. You got to put them on. Do you have them there with you? Yes, I do. Put them on. There he is, Ducky from Pretty in Pink. Ducky in the flesh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Ducky in the flesh, ladies. 
he, ladies, he is single. He's going to be a sophomore. He's going to. Oh, you're going back to. You're going back to Clemson when? In like what? Two weeks? Uh, I'll be back at Clemson in a month, mid June. All the Clemson incoming freshman ladies. Here comes Nick Lisi. He's coming back. Yes. Yes. Brian, love future, the promo. Love the promo. Future, Appreciate future, it. future star right there, my friend. Future star. Ducky coming to a theater new. Love it, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to Bill, David, Tom, uh, David again for, for the compliments. Really do appreciate it. Uh, along with, of course, with everyone else, we do absolutely appreciate you guys coming on and being with us. And, of course, we cannot forget these other guys that we know are going to be so slam-packed October 24th. Well, here's the ones that we absolutely love as well because they are our current sponsors that pay the bill. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. The official sponsor of Broad Street South, and I will tell you, October 24th, that Vegas trip is going to be absolutely jammed. And I'm pretty sure Joe, over there at Fans of Philly, he's just bombarded with what's going on. So, again, if you guys want to reach out to him, you can call him at 610-517-7171, 610-517-7171, and email him at joe at fansofphilly.com or and or go to broadstreetsouth.com, click on the Fans of Philly uh, webpage yourself on the link and it'll take you right out to the webpage and let them know exactly what package you would like, whether it being the Eagles, the Sixers, as the season's come to a close, but obviously the Sixers, the Sixers season continues into their playoffs. Phillies are making a trip up north. One is to stop in New York, the other one to Boston. So if you guys want to catch a Phillies game on the road, again, reach out to fansofphilly.com. That's fansofphilly.com. We thank them <laughs> and appreciate them coming on with us as the official sponsor of Broad Street mm -hmm. South. So, uh, in closing, guys, if anyone else has anything, Fuji, I don't know what in God's name are you doing. It looks like you're almost <laughs> reaching out, you're going for some sort of exercise. Don't have anything. <laughs> so, what uh, is the way you guys? Uh, now, Sherman, I will stone. say for Sherman because Mrs. Sherman does sell some very, very nice articles. And Mr. Sherman, if you don't mind plugging Mrs. Sherman's site. Uh, check out burksboutique.com, B-U-R-K-E-S-B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E.com. See, I say because he says it so smooth and so eloquently, <laughs> that's why I, I like for him to say it. So uh, uh, one more time, Sherman, if you don't mind. Burksboutique.com, B-U-R-K-E-S-B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E.com. Hey, I know Sherman didn't get into the mix tonight like a lot because I know baseball is his forte, and I know he's been giving me a lot of a lot of advice when it comes to my baseball lineups for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> so exactly. I want to thank the Juru for that, and I'm sure the closer and closer we get to the Philadelphia Eagles football season, the Juru will probably have a couple of pages of questions for whatever guest we have on as far as the Eagles goes. But I know, like I said, baseball is his forte. Him and Fuji are the baseball experts, and I, you know, I appreciate their their baseball knowledge. So, actually, Sherman kind of sat back tonight. He sat back tonight. He was just checking it out, and he's got the banner back up. By the way, the last couple times he's yeah. got it back up. 
There are still tons to discuss. NFL schedulers out. The Sixers are losing big to the Miami Heat tonight. And the Philadelphia Phillies, for everybody who thinks that, you know, they're in bad shape, they're 7-3 seven and three in their last 10. And let's see if they can weather the storm now that JT Real Muto is on the COVID IF. Yeah. So this week, may actually, come next week, and I got to think here, as I'm getting all the dates, I know we have tons of guests and stuff still coming on. Uh, so we're looking at... So we will have the NBA season ends on the 16th. Am I correct? Okay. So correct. the following Tuesday before um, – actually, yeah, before the, the season – playoff season begins, we will have on Diaz from Green Legion Radio, and he will break down what he believes the Sixers will do and the NBA in the, in the, in the draft – or sorry, in the playoffs – I'm pretty sure Nick, as he loves his Brooklyn <coughs> Nets, um, will also be getting into it as well. Take a drink of water, Sakata. Just take a sip of water, compose yourself. Throw it out the window. Do something else. <laughs> so, no New York teams on here, brother. Our go normal. Up, go up to the, the Barclays Sound <laughs> Brooklyn there. So, not not on that. my watch. No, right. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. So our normal Tuesday night show that we that that week will actually be live. So it will be still audio downloaded, but we'll be on live with Diaz so we can get his thoughts on what the Sixers are going to end up doing here come the postseason. And it's going to be exciting as Doc Rivers now is taking on a brand new team into a brand new playoffs, if that's what you want to call it here for 21. And we will get into next week as far as the Eagles schedule. We'll break it down a little bit more. We have a lot more coming up, and as we said, the show is only going to get bigger and better. The studio will get better. Uh, Fuji, I know at one point, will be down here in Tampa himself, so we will do a lounge area around here as well as a show with what he should be about right about here. I don't, I'm don't. i not worried about six feet, okay? Two feet, three feet, whatever. He'll be right here with me. Three so, feet from the CDC. Listen. Oh, my God. That's that's down there in Georgia. Don't get Tampa and Georgia confused, okay? Don't get them confused. They're right next door to each other. Exactly. Georgia's right above you. So, and uh, great, uh, great also coming too by Seth Trinian when he called the Dallas Cowgirls. So that, that was pretty interesting. So thanks to everyone watching tonight. Um, we do appreciate it. We appreciate Seth Trinian coming on. It was a lot of fun with Seth. We were expecting 15 minutes. We got some bonus time out of him, so we do appreciate it. Mike Klein, I will make sure that I will make contact with Seth after we're done here to see what we can put together so he can come down here in Tampa and have fun along with the rest of us. Ducky, I do see your comments coming in. It's only two preseason, uh, two preseason games, so uh, thank you for that update. For Michael Sherman, our sports contributor, and oh, by the way, speaking of, I know normally we have our show intro where we introduce all the guys, but because we were on a crunch time with Seth Joyner, <laughs> the next show will make sure that everyone's uh, normal only, presence will end up coming in. Only right. apply the mail. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you want yours here. Just for Fuji, here is Fuji's <laughs> introduction. <laughs> I know he loves to play the drums and stuff, so they just for food just we sign off here. But again, listen, play, thanks everyone. Play the Shermanators. Sherman, would you, you like yours mine. as well? You, uh, do not, you do not have to play mine. Play our fans. We got to get these other two. Play it. Play it. They have won 90 minutes tonight. 
Play just, it, play it. just friggin' play it. Oh, we're gonna lose all our viewers. Play it. We're losing our viewers. We're losing our viewers. So Bill says he didn't need to end the show with Fuji. We didn't either. <laughs> I didn't ask Bill. Bill, friend me on Facebook because I saw that you put a comment up about Eflin. And I want to talk to you about that privately off the air so we can have a discussion about that. I Absolutely. saw that comment. Is Eflin or Eflin? No, I'm kidding. As long as Fuji does not, and I will be at the Kansas City Philadelphia, <laughs> I will be at the Kansas City Philadelphia game. By the way, come hell or high water, God out. willing, and I I'm still around. If you paint your hair green, I am going to stick my foot up your butt. Don't ever paint your hair green when I'm there, boss. You want to do it? I'm not there. Well, that, don't that's worry, fine. Don't worry, Kansas City garb. That's that's you're fine. Going out. You're going to be down. You're going to be down in the basement there in the Belgian hey, chambers with me. Don't It'll start. Be you with don't, me, baby. Don't, one on one. Don't make me come down there. Don't make don't me down. come down. Don't make me come down there. Bring me a Please. case of beer wine. Don't do it. I've already, you know, Corona. just like. Just like, just like when I go. That's what, Main it's event. Like, what, that's, like when I go down to Clemson to see a Clemson football game, and I know Nick's, pro Nick, Nick's probably going to be working. Pick. And I tell you what, I gotta, I gotta get something off his Facebook page so I can print out pictures and make like little like four by eight glossies or something, so that when I'm tailgating with people and he's working, I can hand them out to all the females, like all the freshmen. Give me, give me a See this guy? It's it's this. This is Nick Lisi, beat writer extraordinaire. He's a Clemson student. Right, there he is right there. Best wingman in the books. Best wingman in the books. Appreciate it, Ryan. There it is. There it is. You've got to, you've, dude. You've got to send me. You've got to send me a pic with the shades on, just like that. All gruffy. You got the t-shirt on. You've got the. Uh, you got the. I, oh my god. Oh yes, yes. Well, listen, uh, Mrs. Shermanator. Thank you for the comment. It's it's always a lot of fun. And uh, as she says, hello to Ryan. Hey, Barb. Hey, what's what what's the word we always use? Sure. What was what was the word in the play that she messed up? What did she say? It was um uh, That's what it was. <laughs> oh my god, to this day it still makes me laugh when I think about it. Sitting there with Sherm in the green room, watching his wife on stage. She says the word. Sherm and I look at each other and go, Oh my god. Oh my god. All right, but she kept going. She kept going. That was a fantastic. That's the sign of a great actor, Barb. The sign of a great actor is you keep going. And that Con was fantastic. Consummate <laughs> professional. Exactly. All right, listen to everyone else. Thank you so much. There's one more comment coming in. I see. Well, there it is. Kerplumble. There it is. <laughs> it sure was right. Kerplumble. <laughs> <laughs> love you too. Listen, we love you as well. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara, for tuning in. I know you had your show tonight, I believe, as well. So, uh, again, uh, and, and we lost, of course, the, the Mr. Shermanator. So I'm pretty sure he'll come back before you end the show here. But, again, thanks to everyone who watched that. Again, please follow, like, and subscribe the pages. 
whether it's YouTube, Facebook, obviously you can watch the show on broadstreetsouth.com. That's broadstsouth.com. Again, please download our audio files that needs. we provide for the show for you guys to, to what's going on here. So everyone, please uh, take a look at our website. Listen to our audio download files. We do appreciate again. Listen to Nick, and and also Nick is going to have another article here posted very shortly as I'm proofreading everything, but it will be up available this week coming up on BroadStreetSouth.com. So again, thanks to Sherman, Ryan, Nick, and Fuji. We will see everyone next Thursday. And as far as being next Thursday, we've yet to see. I I, I know we had somebody, but I don't. It'll come to me. But anyways, thank you to everyone again. Thank you Always. to Goose. We do appreciate the new partnership. We're so excited, and we can't see where we go to next. So, again, we will see everyone next Thursday live here at Broad Street South at 730. Have a great night and a great weekend, everyone.